um, is from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41, which is the entire chapter 9. Um, should I stand? Okay, cool. All right, so if you've got a Bible or a phone Bible and you want to open that up to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41, or if you can just listen along. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Jesus said to him, or Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. getting ready this morning, I was trying to think of like a joke for letting me preach for Women's History Month. Um, if you're new here, we often don't have any cis men um, here, so that wasn't really work here. Um, but I couldn't think of one, so I figured I'd just tell you that I, there's a, there's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> so last time I was up here preaching, um, I read a lot of Bible verses kind of sprinkled throughout the whole Bible. Um, and this time I read an entire chapter, but it's not my fault. <laughs> that was the lectionary. The scripture reading for this week, I had to read the whole thing. The most exciting part of this story, in my opinion, is when Jesus spits in the dirt and makes mud to rub on the man's eyes. One of my friends who I was talking and kind of like brainstorming with, um, when I was telling her about this story, she immediately was asking me all these questions. She was like, mud? How'd that work? she wasn't raised Christian, um, and so she kept asking me all these things, and I was like, it was a miracle. Um, it's not like it was a controlled experiment. We're not really trying to replicate it, um, and so we were both kind of laughing over that, um, but in that moment, I was really thinking about the idea that sort of reducing miracles to some sort of explanation is always um, a lot less important than looking at what a miracle means or the simple fact that it happened. We're going to back up to the beginning of the story. This story starts off with the Pharisees asking Jesus about who sinned to make this man blind. Now, this can be a really challenging part of the story. In those times, and sometimes still today, physical disability was thought to be the result of sin. However, we are all created in the image of God, no matter what that looks like in reality. Just because Jesus healed this man's blindness does not mean that Jesus decided he was less than or that he was broken. 
This is a story rich with metaphor, questions of hypocrisy, and teaching. It's not a story about blindness or how any other physical difference needs healing for a person to be whole. The theme of the story we're going to focus on today is the idea of a particular way of learning when confronted with something new. We're going to start with the Pharisees who, as is typical in the New Testament, give us a bad example. The Pharisees in this story are investigating the healing on the Sabbath. And in this investigation, which seems sort of borderline ridiculous, you know, the Pharisees are like going and hunting down these different people so they can ask all these questions. They ask for the man's story twice. And the third time they ask, he finally refuses because they haven't listened a single time. They become increasingly frustrated by the way that their previous conception, it's a sin to work on the Sabbath, conflicts with the reality that this man experienced miraculous healing on the Sabbath. When faced by this frustration, they first ask around and do their research going straight to the source. This is good. They're doing an excellent job here. But then they bail. They resort to their old tactics. They proclaim Jesus a sinner. They remind the once blind man that he was born in sin, and they cast him out. Faced with new information that challenges them, they resort to old tactics of hate. Now, while the, the Pharisees historically get a bad rap, especially in many of the stories that Jesus tells, I think it is important to have a little bit of sympathy for them. Growing is hard. Being faced with new information that threatens to overturn everything you thought you knew is terrifying. But we're not called to respond to new information with our old selves. Jesus calls us to grow and change as we learn. Last week, Angie talked about how Jesus perhaps learned by listening to the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus was challenged with new information and changed. Unfortunately, the Pharisees are not quite as evolved as the literal son of God. So they take a minute. Sometimes we need to give ourselves and one another grace as we struggle with new information. However, the Pharisees do it wrong. Instead of struggling with this privately, with Jesus, or with a few trusted friends, they do it very publicly in a way that hurts this man, frightens his parents, and puts their hate on display. We can learn from their bad example. Growth should never happen at the expense of others. Being frustrated through growth is okay, but sending that outwards in the wrong spaces isn't. While the Pharisees provide a bad example, the once blind man shows us a better model. He does not truly know who Jesus is at this moment. It's not till the end of the story that Jesus explains who he is. This man seems to be a member of the Jewish community, so he knows that healing on the Sabbath is a pretty complicated idea. You're not supposed to do any work, and that includes miracles, unfortunately. As the man is questioned, there's a pivotal moment that shows how he learns from this experience. In verse 25, he says, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, I now see. Then when pressed, the man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This last line is the final straw, of course, and he's kicked out of the community. When faced with an event that explodes his worldview, this man, instead of yelling, instead of getting frustrated, he simply says, for 
of the holiest words that can be said. I do not know. His lived experience is clashing with his old worldview. Yet instead of pitching a fit, he speaks to what he does know. He doesn't use I don't know as a cop-out or as a reason to simply move on. Instead, it is a holy observation. Rather than relying on certainty, he relies on trust amidst confusion. Sometimes we can think of faith as something that asks no questions, that something is simply blindly accepting, blind trust. But what faith really means is trust through the questions, trust in the midst of confusion. As the subject of a miracle, this man, of course, is forced into this growth. He's got to reconcile this situation somehow. But his response shows his ability to learn and grow. In the devotional book that we've been using to sort of guide this sermon series um, throughout Lent, it's written by Walter Brueggemann, he describes this, um, this idea of learning and growing this way. Jesus is an invitation and a chance and a summons to a different way of life. Jesus invites us to see things in a new way. He offers an opportunity to respond to this, and he calls us to act with our new knowledge. At this point in the story, Jesus comes back. I don't know where he went, but he was elsewhere. Now he's back, um, and he helps teach the man a little bit more. When our worldview is challenged through lived experience, the person who challenged it isn't likely to come get us and follow up on this event. But it still works as a model, because revelation, this thing that is opening your eyes to something new, is not where it ends. It needs to be followed up with learning, reading, praying, and continuing to engage. While the Pharisees do it really wrong, there's also a middle do-nothing method that's not great. We are to continue to learn and grow, actively pursuing our own growth. As I was considering this story and um, praying over it and reading the scripture, the first thing that I thought of was an internet blog <laughs> from a woman named Sarah Bessie. Sarah Bessie is a progressive Christian popular theologian from Canada, and she wrote a very public account of how she became LGBTQ affirming. What is important to note here is that she is a model of learning well through research, lived experience, and personal relationships. While her voice is not who I would center to speak out for LGBTQ individuals as a straight woman, and she directly acknowledges this in her response, um, she's exactly the person to look for as a model for what to do when your lived experience doesn't match what you once knew. A Penny in the Air is the title of her response, and it's a response to one of her followers asking about her journey. Um, it's widely available on the internet. You just like type in a penny in the air, and it's, in my opinion, a very beautiful, well-written, thought-out response. Um, while I think most people in this space, if not all, are already LGBTQ affirming, because you're here letting me preach, letting Andy preach, letting us preach, um, supporting us, um, it is a beautiful thing to look at and read and, and see what that experience was like for her. Um, but I'm going to read a couple things from it. She begins by talking about intellectual research that she started after beginning to look around and see that perhaps her old theology was wrong. A quick Google search gives you books to read, right? She writes. But 
She knows that's not the question you're asking. So instead, I'll tell you this. Even after all that study, all that conversation, all that learning, the penny hovered in the air for me still. Intellectually, I was mostly there. But in my spirit, in my heart, I still sensed a barrier. And I also sensed somehow that this barrier was only the Holy Spirit's to remove and not mine. After this point, she goes on to explain her, I do not know, but I do know this moment. After a speaking engagement, a woman um, who had briefly spoken to Sarah before uh, her, her speech um, asked to pray for her. She identified herself to Sarah as a pastor in this interaction. Sarah writes, And she began to pray with such authority, such anointing, such tenderness, that I began to weep. She prayed prophetically and pastorally, identifying areas of exhaustion and depletion in me, speaking words of life and goodness and abundance to my parched soul. By the time she was done, I felt not only deeply seen by God, but deeply loved. She was a conduit for the Holy Spirit that night. I left the event feeling incredibly grateful for that divine encounter. I have never before or since been so struck by the clear anointing of a pastor in the truest sense of the word. In the years afterwards, this woman and I struck up a friendship of sorts, emailing occasionally to check on each other, praying for one another, etc. Eventually, I learned that in addition to being a powerful and mighty woman of God, in addition to being an anointed pastor, in addition to being a devoted follower of Jesus, in addition to being kind and bold, faithful and content, funny and compassionate and godly, she was also a lesbian. And just like that, the penny dropped. All the study, all the footnotes, all the scholars went from being a jumble of intellectual opinions to a lived experience in one encounter with the Holy Spirit alongside a beloved sister in Christ. I was transformed. All of a sudden, my arguments and thesis and references, which helped get me to a place of openness, became secondary to the obvious truth staring me right in the face and praying. And after this happened, Bessie did not stop researching. She did not stop centering queer voices. But what started primarily academic was made most real when she was confronted face to face with something that changed everything. Now, I don't read this story to say that we all need to live out in the world in ways that confront people and, and change their opinion of us. And sometimes it can feel like you have to be the perfect whatever, insert category, because of whatever you are in the world. Um, for me, there can be sometimes some sort of pressure of like, I have to be really, really good so that there's no question about my ministry um, because of sexual orientation. Um, that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is that this happened to her. She met someone who changed everything for her in a very beautiful way that was clearly guided by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever experienced moments like this when everything changed? Both of these examples, of course, are dramatic. But it isn't always this way. I can remember very specific moments when my eyes were opened. Um, once when I was in high school, I was going to a movie with my cousin, um, and we'd been to this movie theater hundreds of times, probably. Um, and we got out of the car, and we had to walk the entire length of the parking lot all the way to one end to get to the curb cut so his wheelchair could get up the curb and then walk all the way to the other end to get to the entrance of the movie theater. I have no idea how I never noticed that before. But when that happened, I turned to him and I was like, what, 
what, what the heck? <laughs> and he was like, it's been this way ever since I've lived here, which is his whole life. Um, and I realized in that moment that what I thought about accessibility, about the Americans with Disabilities Act, that we had the bare minimum um, having the curb cut next to the entrance was not true. That was a major eye-opening moment for me to really look around when I was out in the world. I've been in conversations with friends about situations we're both involved with and realized that I was only seeing it from my perspective in a short-sighted way. So sometimes these moments where there's this clash in experience and what you think you know and what's right in front of you can be really small. But it's really important to be aware of those. How can we keep ourselves open and prepared for this? How can we learn so that the gap between lived experience and our known worldview shrinks and growth is easier? As we return to the story, Jesus plays with the idea of blindness, another way for us to recognize that this story is not about how physical difference needs to be cured to be whole. This blindness has nothing to do with the eyes. In fact, Jesus proclaims that just because the Pharisees think they see, this is why they are blind. The very belief that you can see in full is the definition of blindness. Jesus lays it out right here. The Pharisees are doing okay until they say, us? Blind? And it is in that moment that Jesus says, yes. Yes, you are. Perhaps, in addition to looking out for these moments where lived experience violates your previous knowing, what we are asked to do is simply acknowledge and understand that we do not see in full. And we will never see in full. To say, I don't know, is a holy observation. To give space for uncertainty is one of the most beautiful parts about this story, the way that the blind man says, I don't know, you've asked me all these questions, I don't know the answer to these. I do not know, but I will tell you what I do know. I do not know is not an excuse to not learn. It's not a statement that you just leave and move on. It's sort of a placeholder, a transition, an acknowledgement that we do not see in full. It doesn't mean we don't perceive pursue seeing. It does not mean that we pursue growth and looking for understanding. But what it does mean is that we are fully aware of our own areas of blindness and short-sightedness. To end today, um, the devotional text that we've been using uh, that Walter Bergman wrote, there's a beautiful prayer um, in his devotional for this text. So I'm going to end with that prayer you would join me in a posture of prayer. Loving God, you are the God who unleashes well-being into the world. May we see, may we love, may we follow. Amen. Neighborhood Conversations produced by Neighborhood Church in Atlanta, Georgia. You can learn more about us at neighborhoodchurchatl.com and on our website you can find links to our weekly live streams and you can find out what's going on in the neighborhood. Find us on social media and don't forget to subscribe. Peace be with you.